Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com This is Everything is Personal with Len May. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. Take, take, As take always, it. I have my wonderful, today with a beautiful t-shirt, I must say, co-host, Mr. John Small. Welcome. Well, thank you so much, Len. Yes, today I am honoring Three Feet High and Rising, which is one of the great seminal rap records of all time that a lot of people haven't heard because it was banned and it is not even available on iTunes and some of the streaming platforms because of all sorts of copyright issues, but it is really, truly one of the greatest. Is, is that because of the ever. sample stuff that I, I was? Yes. Doing? Is that because they used because samples they get clearance for those samples? Yes, they didn't get clearance on samples. They were sort of like a little bit late on the sampling thing when, and people started actually suing them. I remember that whole controversy. Yeah, and it's really sad because you know you think of like a Paul's Boutique and some other records that were really heavily sampled that didn't get as dinged. Anyway, it's really, if you haven't heard Three Feet High and Rising, just get the CD. It's, I mean, it's the best. But anyway, this t-shirt I'm wearing is actually in honor of it. It's uh, a Japanese version. You see, I have a bit of a theme in my t-shirts. I have Japanese versions of famous hip-hop records. Um, I love it, is, man. It you got to take of, me to that store, man. It's a great I store. Think. It has a little three geishas instead of three of the uh, De La Soul guys. Big ups to De La Soul. Really changed yeah. the rap game forever. And By the way, I think... I was a, one of the guys, I don't remember which one, but posted on their social media. They posted a thing, stakes is high around the election. Oh, I yeah. It was really, really appropriate. Stakes is high. I'm stakes like, is yep. high. <laughs> which stakes. is another album, obviously. Yeah, exactly. That, that that's great. So yeah. speaking of the election, we had some tremendous wins for the cannabis industry and cannabis anti-prohibition yep and uh just for uh drug policy in general yep psychedelics uh, let, big let me, wins let me just go through every single proposition that was in every single state around cannabis passed which Unanimous. is the first time in history i mean it's it's mind-blowing how far we come arizona passed recreational cannabis montana passed recreational cannabis which is a trip in itself montana uh <laughs> mississippi well, yeah. I'm New sorry, Jersey. I'm getting out of run. New, New Jersey. Jersey passed. Yes. That's huge. <laughs> huge. Recreational huge. cannabis. It's going to be Jersey. It's going to be Pennsylvania. It's going to be, they're all going to start all those. Uh, and that'll inspire New York. But I mean, the fact that New Yorkers can now, you know, go over to Hoboken to buy their uh, recreational weed. I mean, that's going to change the entire industry. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And then we have South Dakota passed recreational as well. South Dakota, there's probably like six people live in that. Six people anyway, do, and, so. and, and four of them are on a giant rock. Yeah. I <laughs> I mean, I thought that was like the most conservative of all states, and uh, I guess conservative. It doesn't really... That's one nice thing about cannabis is it seems to be kind of a, a bipartisan issue, one of the few well, issues. The bi- bipartisan issues uh, follow the money. Yeah. So if you actually follow the tax revenue that has mm, been... Good point. Uh, has, yeah, has been earned by the states that passed, these other states that are like... North Dakota, South Dakota, and Mississippi. I mean, that really? Was, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, it's medicinal, but we'll take it because you think about conservative states, you follow the states that really need financial support and you see what the tax revenue is. So hopefully those six people will continue to buy cannabis in South Dakota and, and earn about 
$150 for South Dakota in tax revenue. That'll help them a lot. Yeah. And then we have Oregon, which uh, is interesting. Well, let me say DC first before I get to Oregon, because Oregon is really interesting. DC decriminalized psychedelic plants, which is interesting because is a mushroom a plant? Right. So I'm not sure what that really means in DC. I believe it does apply to mushrooms. And the idea in DC is that you're decriminalizing. It's kind of a gray area, right? Because you're you're not saying they're legal. You're just not, you're just saying that's not, they're not criminal. You're not going to get thrown in jail. So I don't understand in terms of commerce, whether you're allowed to you know, sell those kinds of plants and yeah. hallucinogens and things like that on the market. I don't think so. Well, the idea of it is specifically for consumption. What they're saying is you get to consume, but commerce is something we haven't really outlined yet. It's decriminalized right. for possession. So if you have it and you want to, you know, do some psilocybin, you're more than welcome to. Yeah. You're but just not you're gonna buy it legally me, in our in our yeah district. if you sell me a bag of psilocybin uh, that's commerce. I don't know if that's legal. That's mm. sort of, uh, and that Rare. goes to Oregon. So Oregon, two things. Number one, they decriminalized all drugs. <laughs> and we can talk about what decriminalized means. And then they also passed the psilocybin therapy uh, law. So now you can use psilocybin in therapy. Who's licensed to actually use psilocybin therapy? I don't know, but it's interesting. Uh, it seems to me that they're sort of copying the Portugal model. Mm. But Portugal actually legalized somewhat all drugs and they have a needle exchange program and methadone program, all this stuff. Like you can go when I was there in Lisbon, you can go and they have these uh, stations set up and you can go get clean needles and exchange them. And they seem to say that they have a lot of success there. But I don't I don't know. You glitched there. So what? Yeah. So I always wonder, what is the research there? Like, are they finding that they're opiate? addiction is down in those countries, places like Amsterdam and in Portugal and in Holland, or are the drug crimes down? Like, I'd love to know in places where they're much more lenient about drug use, what we're finding. Obviously, we, we're heading that way in this country. It might take a while, but I certainly, if you look at the other countries that are doing it successfully, it certainly makes a great case for us. You brought up a great point. What the hell is decriminalized? What does decriminalized what does mean? mean? Even when Kamala Harris came on and the, I think it was in debate, and she said, we're going to decriminalize. What does that actually mean? Are they going to take this schedule one for cannabis and reschedule it? Or they're going to remove it off the schedule? There's no right. real- And are you de- And no then is it a statewide versus federal? Like we know federally it's a schedule one drug right. still, but mm-hmm. does that mean in certain states like Oregon and California and- it's no longer a schedule one. And then what does that mean when you want to travel with marijuana to different states? I mean, it's so confusing. That's why, even though I'm so excited that each state is making progress in decriminalizing and legalizing marijuana, it seems like without a federal law change on the books, it still gets very murky and confusing. Um, Well, yeah, you have to support it with federal laws, at least to do two things. Number one is to have interstate commerce. Mm-hmm. Number two is to have banking. How are you ever going to get rid of uh, the gray and get us into the future when people have to stack cash under right. the floorboards? I mean, it, literally people, I'm sure you have so many stories of people in the industry that hide their cash in crazy places. Yeah, I mean, the and then you industry. have banks that take advantage of you. So you think about it this way. Not only do you, that I see like stacks of cash in a room that they have to just hold on to because they can't deposit anywhere. Then the banks came out and they said, okay, if we have FDIC insurance, we cannot hold cannabis in our cannabis accounts in our bank because they can come in and, uh, you know, take whatever monies that you have there and the bank can get in trouble because it's federally insured. Then there is credit unions. Credit unions uh, started looking at it and they're like, oh, we're not sure also because they would be, penalized federally for for that as well. And then they have other banks that say, okay, you're a cannabis company. We did a risk assessment. So the way we're going to bank with you is you have to minimally invest $10 million. That's your minimal deposit. And we're going to charge you fees that are exorbitant. Same thing with merchant services. So you're a high risk. So not only are you paying like whatever the high risk for any other industry, I don't know what high risk industries are porn, I guess. I don't know. But if you're a high risk industry, you would have to pay the maximum amount for your merchant services. 
and every single fee that's in the bank. So if, if you're paying, you know, $150 a month to bank with, you know, one of the bigger banks, city, you name it. But if you're doing your banking in one of these banks, you're paying like three times that much in fees just so they can use your own money and mm-hmm. pay you very little. So there's a, an interesting uh, dichotomy when it comes to banking, legalization, yeah. all that other I stuff. I think there, the one uh, other, and not to get too wonky in this conversation, but there is something called the Safe Banking Act, which yeah. has been bandied about Congress and, and, and has you know reached the, the House floor. And I don't know, you know where the Senate stands with this, and particularly if we're going to have another Republican Senate. But the Safe Banking Act is designed to uh, allow banks to do uh, business with cannabis companies without getting dinged or uh, without being federally illegal and would be a huge uh, win for the cannabis industry. But again, as more money flows into the marketplace and more money can be made in revenues for these states, I just see you know, the states figuring out ways to make it easier for these cannabis companies to succeed. I mean, we're seeing sort of a cautionary tale in California, right, where it's so hard for cannabis companies to succeed in, in California, the biggest market in the world. And, you know, some are doing it, but I mean, all I ever hear all day is people complaining about the regulations and the red tape and how they are competing against the black market, which has none of these regulations in red tape. And it's a problem. And I know that we're really in the nascent stages of this industry, um, and we'll figure this all out. But I think um, to stay on the positive, the fact that the voters who are so polarized on pretty much everything seem to be in favor of cannabis legalization is really pretty impressive. And one of the, again, one of the few things that we can agree on on both sides of the aisle. Well, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what I wanted to say. So I, I think, you know, we're bored people enough with our political <laughs> rants and all that stuff, but you, you definitely hit the nail on the head. That's what I wanted to convey is regardless how polarized, I haven't seen this type of division in this country. In, yeah. I don't know, in my lifetime, I've possibly. Been, yeah, in my li- yeah. lifetime also. But what we agree on is the peace pipe. Everybody <laughs> wants to have cannabis in all the states, no matter what. Party line is doesn't matter. Uh, red, blue, whatever. You voted yes on uh, the cannabis referendum. So yeah. I applaud everybody for doing that. That's, that's great. And I think if the politicians are really serious about listening to their constituents, the constituents have spoken. So now when you're in Washington and you're making those decisions, listen to them and yeah. make the right decisions on changing laws. They're going to elevate this industry to the next level. And let's face it, the money coming in is going to also change. You know, I don't think I always get the impression that cannabis has the biggest lobbying. You know, there are lobbyists, and I've talked to them in Washington that work, but they don't have the power of other industries. And so it, it just doesn't have the the clout that, and I think the more money that comes into the industry, the bigger the lobbying organizations. And, you know, that's just the money is what makes the world go around in America. So I am, I am, and I think it coming to New Jersey, which is near New York and which is a huge populous state, and it's going to just open up an entire um, other side of the business and new industries and new, new companies and brands. And it's just, it's exciting. It's fun to be part of it, but cannabis people, Man, they can be tight with their money. <laughs> Even I and, and I like you said that companies have a hard time making money. There's a lot of companies that are making a lot of money, yeah. but they're not necessarily making a lot of profit. That's yeah. the biggest issue. And you said it right. It's all the regulations, all the taxes, all the fees, all the red tape. And I know companies, friends of mine, that are generating a tremendous amount of revenue and paying a lot of taxes on that. But when you look at their profitability, it's limited. So even yeah. though they're making the money, they're not profitable. And one of the reasons they're always looking for an exit. So yeah. everybody is like doing this and looking for an exit. Okay, what's the exit? It was very fashionable to get an IPO. Everybody's like, oh, I'll get an IPO. I'm going to reverse merge into a shell. Uh, you know, we'll go public and all these different schemes were going on. But I think the Canadian market has shown everybody that that may not be the absolute greatest exit for a company that's not really generating enough revenue or actually is profitable enough. So now it's like these M&A type of things and we're going to do line extensions. Hmm. All right, let's see what else comes up. But there's always this thing with an exit. And I really feel like if we go back and say, we're going to make great products or whatever that is, and we're going to sell that to individuals to help them 
to alleviate whatever it is that they want to address and make money from that and be profitable, the actual exit will come to them instead of them looking right. for the exit in mind when they first start a company. Because I, I just don't believe that really fulfills a need. No, I think that's a kind of traditional way of looking at business. You know, what's our exit strategy here? You know, people getting into it just to, to quickly make some money. It just doesn't work somehow in cannabis. I feel like the companies that really succeed in this industry are the ones that kind of got into it for the right reason, uh, yeah. had the passion for the plant, had a respect for the history of the plant and the history of the movement to legalize. <clears throat> and it feels like all the people who come in, and I, meet, I get so many pitches all day long from these people who are kind of like these investment bankers that have like tried to cash in on this industry. They never do it right. And um, unfortunately, they are benefiting from the work you know, over, you know, the last 50 years of, of cannabis, you know, advocates, you know, and now they're cashing, they're finally cashing. And they don't know how hard it was 30 years ago. You know, I wasn't around then either. I wasn't around in the cannabis industry, but I know that um, a lot of, you know, we have to give props and, and much respect to the people who came before us to even make yeah. this possible where we are right now, because the, it wouldn't be, have been possible with all. Oh yeah. And I, I wrote a big thank you to everybody whose shoulders I yeah, stand, on stand on right, right. now. Because those are the people that but actually you're legit, created. and I don't just say that because we work together. But you're, you know, you have a real passion for this plan and uh, an enthusiasm for it. That you know, you're not in it just to make a quick buck. Um, you, you believe in it, and I think that is important. Yeah, well, I appreciate you saying that. But even from the investment banking standpoint, we Endo Canada Health, we go out as a company, and people are approaching us to raise money. Hmm. Okay. Even the approach that are coming to us, like I know I've done this in other industries, but when they're coming to us, they're like, oh, pay us a hundred thousand dollar retainer. Well, why would I pay you a retainer? If you're gonna go out and you're gonna invest money in me, you should know that this is something we're gonna do. You have a success fee. So everybody is looking at us as sort of the lamb that they can prey on. Hmm. And uh, and you're right about we don't have enough lobbyists, there's not enough. There's no union. There's no, there's no, nobody that's overseeing this whole industry per se. So people can come and they can prey on, uh, on people, even people who have been doing this for a long period of time, who have a passion for it. They may not have the business acumen to kind of, uh, avoid some of those predators. Mm -hmm. So now there's the sharks are circling around yeah. and they're taking advantage of, of a lot of these people. So I just want to urge everybody who's in this industry, who's been uh, doing this and if you don't have the business acumen, but you grow great cannabis, then, you know, partner with somebody that does and, uh, you know, develop the right agreements, use attorneys and make sure that nobody's there to, you know, screw you over because right. that's what's happening in this industry right now. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Get off my soapbox. No, it's way, okay. Did you, <clears throat> did you see my t-shirt? No, you haven't, you haven't shown your t-shirt every day. We've got it. Oh my goodness. Bark moon. Ozzy. God. So that's my old school Ozzy. You have to get Osborne. me turned on to Ozzy because oh. I only know Ozzy through the Osbournes. And <laughs> and I grew up in a time when Ozzy was popular. I just wasn't listening to that kind of music back then. But I remember everybody always talking about Ozzy. My son is kind of worships Ozzy Osbourne. So I love that you're respecting. I know that you know him personally. Yeah. yeah well, um, that's that's Bark at the Moon, which is a, an amazing album. Yeah. But and we'll we'll do when when we do our Have You Heard not not today, but we'll do. I would love to do an Aussie. Yeah, I will do an Aussie one for you. But <clears throat> just just so you know, there's the Black Sabbath Aussie. Yeah. Which is uh, you know I have a, an album somewhere in back of me, and then there is Aussie solo, and there is continuation of Aussie solo. So there's. Right. Uh, uh, there's his first Ozzy, and then there's, uh, and he's been, you know, consistent. Even his newest album, I don't even know if it's like pleasure. It, it always blows me away. There is a personal relationship here. Uh, it just blows my mind that I can have this mentor type of relationship with somebody who I looked up to for so long and happens to be such a down to earth, beautiful human being. Like listening to it. A week after that, with Post Malone, with Travis Scott on this album, yeah, and being and having my daughter listen to like stuff that's I listened to thirty years ago, but it's modern and new. I mean, that's a testament to somebody that is uh, yeah, is legendary. I mean, think and of how many you know, people that were like Ozzy Osbourne back then. You know their music from back then, but they don't. They haven't lived on past the seventies, 
and Ozzy Osbourne, it's like he's everywhere. Like you said, he's on Post Malone Records. He's yeah. he's got a tele he had a television a hit television show. He's yeah. in everybody's like my everybody knows who he is. Like how did somebody like that just to keep that kind of staying power? There's something there. What do you well, think it credit, is? What's the secret? Sh- I mean, it well, sent- the credit to Sharon too. Yeah, his, I his think wife Sharon is amazing. Osborne does a fantastic job on yeah. that. So, but the secret is to me, and you know this too. Meeting celebrities mm-hmm. is really interesting, and I feel people that have reached a certain status, yeah, they seem to be much more down to earth, nicer, kinder as human beings than people that are like they're just there in the middle. They they yeah. feel like they they're have the to worst. be an asshole. Yeah, no, they're the worst. And the publicists are the worst, the people yeah. who represent them. But yes, I agree. The higher celebrities I've met up on the chain of celebrity, the nicer the people are and more reasonable. And like you're always like, wow. It's like the difference between the time I met Carmen Electra, who was difficult, to the time I met Snoop Dogg, who was not. Uh, or maybe I can think well, of Snoop Dogg was high probably, so he was cool. He was, yeah, he was super cool. I'm just trying to think like, of the big celebrities I've met in my life, I mean, you're right. The higher they are, the nicer they are. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's because they have less they have pressure to put, on them. Put on less of an act that can yeah. be themselves. But you know what? If somebody's a douche, regardless of how high up they are, they're always going to be a douche. Maybe at some point in their life, they have to act like somebody else. But now they reach a certain status, they can be themselves. If themselves is, is an a asshole, yeah. so they'll be more of an asshole. Yes. But it just seems to me some of these people, have, they're already good, nice people. And yeah. just because they're a celebrity, they're just being themselves. When you meet celebrities and you've met a lot, do you get the sense that like they're a celebrity because they have some sort of like charisma or like they just have it? Or do you think yeah. that that you are just projecting that onto them because you know they're a celebrity? Like the time I met Jennifer Lopez, I remember thinking to myself like, Am I thinking like, wow, she's kind of cool because she's Jennifer Lopez or because she actually really has like kind of an energy about her that it's like a little bit more than most people you meet, you know? Yeah. I, I, to me, it's all about energy. Yeah. Not to get really hokey, but I believe in this 100%. <clears throat> Regardless if you're a celebrity or you're not a celebrity, you walk in a room and you're attracted to certain people. Right. And there's there's a certain energy that these people emit that is attracted to you. I, I met somebody recently and I only met him twice. And I was telling my friend, I was like, man, I love this person. Like, what do you love about them? I'm like, I don't know. I don't really know. <laughs> right, I'm not clear because it's not like they're giving me, you know, life advice or something like that there is just an energy that is so attractive that it makes me want to, I want to be around that person. Hmm. And the flip side of that, you know, I belong to different groups. I have this men's group. You sit there and some people are just repellent to you. Yeah, they Actually, re- we did this exercise. It's really interesting, weird. You go around the circle and every man stares at the other man uh, for like 10, 20 seconds. And you're sort of looking at their, in their eyes. And then you go back and you get to see if, uh, and say, if you have a charge for one of those men. Mm. So the charge in this instance is a negative charge. So you felt something. And then you get to express if you really felt something against this person, what is that? And there's a whole exercise. I'm not going to go really into it uh, because we also are supposed to be confidential. But the, the gist of it is that a lot of that comes from a mirror effect from yourself. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's projecting something onto you that you feel within yourself is a negative aspect, you're basically taking on that and you're projecting that onto them. So your own insecurity. So if, if you have that dichotomy with an individual, that may be something inside yourself. That I've has heard that. Triggered, that. You may not want to, uh, you know, address in yourself. So you're projecting it onto somebody else. I have heard that but, when, you, yeah, that the things you dislike the most about other people sometimes are the qualities of yourself that you dislike the most, right? Yeah. So somebody's like a blow, but it doesn't always work for me because like, I don't consider myself to be like a blowhard, like, and like I'm repelled by like a Donald Trump type of person who just can't stop talking <laughs> about themselves and is just like really into themselves and comes into a room and just talks about themselves for 25 minutes about how great they are or does the humble brag type of talking about themselves. Those kinds of people drive me crazy. And I don't feel like there's any part of myself that's like that. And I, I've tried to look within to understand why that bothers me so much. I mean, there must be something about my own personality that is repellent about that personality. Yeah, well, it may not be, it may not be that specific uh 
it may not be something inside of you. It may be somebody that you met before in your life. Yeah, that, that reminds actually me of is that. triggering that memory within yourself. And you're oh, saying, for sure. That person reminds me of that asshole. Oh, that I can tell you right now. It's, yeah, I mean, I, my parents had a guru when I was, a, you know, when I was growing up. And that person never stopped talking about himself. And <laughs> I, it drives me freaking crazy now when I have to deal with that. That's why Donald Trump to me is like the most annoying person in it, the world. it reminds you of that <laughs> you have that way, i want to have an episode where you actually take me through that because i need to dive yes deeper well into i've it. wanted to do a podcast about it forever and i and and i've threatened it on my own personal podcast that people are so sick of me talking about that i tried to interview i was going to interview my mother about it my my, my brother oh it's coming I'm writing a memoir about it. I'm trying to. Wow. I'm trying to get. I'm trying to take a deeper dive. So I'm happy to, to share that with people. But yeah, um, no, for it's, sure. a t- it's it's easier to talk about now than it was, you know, 20 years ago. But um, I get, I get yeah. It. yeah, yeah, yeah. Parents are interesting. So I had this. Uh, I posted one of our pods, social media, and the posted it for me. Wrote something. I'm paraphrasing, but they wrote something like, "Sometimes don't listen to your parents." And it said, "Sorry, mom." And it's like you know, here's the clickbait to click on and listen to the pod. And my mom got all bent out of shape. She's like, is this what you teach your daughter not to listen to her parents? Is this what you... I, th- Mothers still wait, know what to say to drive you crazy, like, no matter how old you, get, you are. I'm like, I'm like, what do you mean? I, first of all, you didn't even listen to it. You didn't Did even she didn't listen. even listen to it? She didn't no, even listen. no, she didn't listen to it. She just read that headline. So you just and she was all mad. The worst. Uh, <laughs> and I told her, I'm like, I teach my daughter to listen to her heart. So whatever it is that I teach her, if, if she's disagreeing with me, then that's fine. I don't think just because you're a parent and the kid has their own opinion, it doesn't necessarily have to listen to me just because I'm older. I'm glad I didn't listen to some people who are older than me and gave bad advice. You have to listen to yourself, too. I yeah. can guide you if you ask me. But, um, yeah, my mom was really upset about it's it. It's too bad. I mean, you, she should listen because, you know, honestly, my mother, I, she hasn't listened to this podcast yet as far as I know. But she has listened to my podcast uh, right about now, and it's one of the few things that my mother that I've done in my life professionally that my mother actually likes. And you know, with all due respect to my mother, I adore my mother, but she has not has not particularly understood my career professionally up until uh, this point. You know, I think she told people for twenty years that I worked at Glamour magazine, even even after I left that job, just because it was easier <laughs> to explain <laughs> to people that's what I did for a living, and it seemed okay. Yeah. I feel you on that. It, it's so funny because whatever I do now, my, my parents didn't understand for a very long time, but yeah. now my, my dad is really proud. But before when I used to, you know, I used to be in corporate. So I used to uh, work for this company called Price Waterhouse. I had this long title. It's like senior manager, something. I don't even remember, but it, it took out the yeah. entire business card. <laughs> and my dad loved it. Right. You have my business card and you would tell everybody he is a senior manager of blah, 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 blah. And he has to go. I don't even remember what it was. So but old school. The long yeah. title. He loved that thing. He was so proud of it. But I'm like, you don't understand. I'm like, I'm like a laborer in this awful <laughs> environment that does not fit me at all. Everybody's Ivy League and everybody's stabbing each other. Big six accounting thing. I was a management consulting. It did not fit my personality in any way possible. I had a ponytail. Was one of those guys that really didn't fit in. <laughs> I can totally see that. You're yeah, that guy like, with like earrings and a ponytail. I'm like, what the right. hell am I doing? Why am I here? Price Waterhouse. And but my dad was so proud Just of it. Loved it. it was years, years before even real estate. I don't think he was uh, until I was a broker. Then he became proud of that. But that moment when I felt pride happened in Jamaica. I don't know if I told this uh, experience before. Did I ever talk about this before? No, I don't think so. Okay, so we every year. Well, COVID is an exception, but every year what we try to do is my daughter and I meet my parents somewhere on vacation. So we do a family vacation. My parents live in Philly. We live in LA. So last year we met in Jamaica. I love Jamaica, by the way. One of an amazing place. Oh my God. The best music. The best everything. I love the people. I love the music. I love the beaches, everything. And, uh, you know, obviously there's a cannabis uh, theme to this. (laughs) That is true. so uh the best candidate. we're sitting on the beach my dad and i are on the beach and uh, there's a lifeguard that comes up to me and everybody's like ganja they're selling you ganja as soon as you get there everybody's like pitching ganja okay so this guy the the lifeguard comes up and he's like uh hey yeah yeah i'm not, I'm not gonna do jamaican accent but right like hey you know uh 
Ganja, and my dad goes, do you know uh, what my son does? Do you know who this is? And I'm just quiet. Right. Like, well, let's see where this goes. He is the world's expert on cannabis. He starts telling this guy. Oh, that's cool. And, and then he's like, yeah, he knows uh, he'll help you. This and is the like the same like, guy, dad, who kicked you out of your house. Exactly. The right. same guy. The same guy. So this is the irony. It's so amazing to, to have this happen. And then he goes, and the guys ask me, like, what do you do? So I told him, Jack, he goes, oh, my God. He goes, my family's been grown for generations. Do you mind if I bring you some of mine to try? And you can give me your opinion. Hmm. I was like, wait, you're going to bring me cannabis. Wonderful. I'm in Jamaica. Great. So next day, the guy's looking for us. And he comes over. He's like, oh, sir, blah, blah, blah. Here's what I, And he brings like this black uh, plastic bag and he un- un- unravels it. And he's got three branches, like big branches. I would say if I'm uh, approximating somewhere around eight inches uh, to 12 of three branches of different cannabis. That's a lot of weed. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me on vacation with my daughter and my parents. So uh, he's like, what do you think? I'm like, I'll take it back and I'll sample it and, and let you know. And my dad kept making jokes the whole time. Yeah, let's smoke it. Let's, uh, uh, we're going to get high. He's making jokes. But, uh, you know, so, and my dad begins to tell everybody. And at some point, um, and I don't even know if I should tell the story. I'm going to tell the story. Okay. Uh, you know, people were asking us uh, everywhere we go about cannabis. I had all this weed. So I would, they say, hey, do you want ganja? And I'm like, no, I have my own. Like, oh, yeah, really? I'm like, you want some? So I would give away instead of tips. I would give people ganja that I got from this guy, uh, <laughs> cannabis, and I would leave it as a, as a tip for the maids. And everybody loved it. Like, oh, man, we're, you know, we're you getting ganja. So I kept my dad kept joking with me when I thought was joking. And I called him out on it. I'm like, dad, I'm rolling a joint. If you want, I'm going to come outside and I'm going to go smoke it. If you want, come out with me. He came out. Did he and we go it? for a walk. And I let up a joint. And I give it to him uh, a hit. He probably took maybe two hits, maybe. Yeah, uh, but in maybe, Jamaica, that was probably some potent. It wasn't as good as Southern California. Okay. Believe. We have the best weed in the world. Right. It was good. Yeah. It was good. But and he and he's talking to me. He's like, yeah, nah, I don't feel anything. I don't feel anything. And then everything goes silent. <laughs> There's no talking anymore. We're just walking. And my dad's like, um, can we stop over there and get some water? I'm really parched. <laughs> he oh, started yeah, feeling you're it. high. And then we started laughing and talking about it. But Did yeah, he like it? I, yeah, he liked it. He goes, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty good. And it just burned his throat. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. know how to smoke. It was, it yeah. was harsh. But besides that, yeah, he, he liked, liked the it. Feeling. He didn't have a bad experience. He had a little bit of cotton mouth, but he was fine. Definitely, definitely, definitely. <laughs> but he, he kept saying, nothing. Ah, I don't feel anything. I don't feel anything. But I don't know. I love when it kicks in. You're just like, oh. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That was a fun experience. That's awesome. Like that. mm-hmm. What happens in Jamaica clearly does not stay in Jamaica. Um, yeah, I, don't, I, I don't even know if my mom is aware of this. I don't know if anybody. Well, we know your mom doesn't listen to the podcast, so we're fine. <laughs> she will now. <laughs> she, I'm the, tell the, her. the one episode that she listens to is, and she's going to say, <laughs> Stanley, you got high? I don't know what your dad's name is. Alex. It's Alex, Alex, you got high? <laughs> um. And he's going to be like, what are you doing putting that on the airwaves? That's right. exactly my dad sound. I, really? I'm just, doing, gonna, I'm just doing any immigrant voice from the Northeast. He's got a Ru- Russian accent. <laughs> right, right. It's like, it's like a Borat almost, but a little oh, really? deeper. That's <laughs> oh, that's awesome. We, I, have to, I still have not watched Borat 2. Okay, next episode, Borat 2, deep dive. I'm waiting for it because I'm not even going into it because I have so much Borat stuff. I, I, he's like, yeah, I have a good recommendation stuff. for a funny show to, to watch. That is a good okay. show as an anecdote for what is going on mm-hmm. in America right now. And that is Ted Lasso. Have you heard about this show? Yeah. It's the, it's the Apple one where he's the, the football coach. Yeah. The American football, football coach. Yeah. And it's kind of like, seems like a hokey, whatever premise as this like American guy who knows nothing about soccer goes to, England and takes over a big soccer team and but it's kind of profound like the messages in it and the um just like it's a real it makes you have faith again in humanity and people because right now it's so hard to understand why people can be so crazy it just made me feel like oh you know what there's still kind of good people in the world and it's nice to see uh even though it's not real <laughs> although it, can, it feels a great real. show it's a great show and Jason Sudeikis you watch uh, it does a so you, I, I've watched several yeah. episodes. Yeah, he's excellent. He is tremendous in it. Yeah, he it's, is so it's good. one of those shows that's so well cast. Everybody's in perfect. 
It's a perfectly I mean, cast. His, yeah, his range of emotion through that yeah, whole thing. It's is, really good. Is, and there's all these English actors that you've never seen before, except for Juno Temple, who I have seen before. They're just, anyway, yeah. I recommend it. Right. It's one of my little guilty pleasures. All right. So I'll recommend a show too. Okay. Uh, it's called People Just Do Nothing. I think that's what it's that called. That sounds it's like the Netflix. story of my life. Yes. Okay. It's stupid and funny as can be. People it's just about do nothing. This, okay. Yeah. It's about this group of 30 somethings that have a radio station that only, you know, goes out to maybe like 50 people, but this is their life and they just do nothing. And their, their wives, spouses, they actually work and these guys just get around and they do hip hop basically where they they perform on the mic oh wow and the one guy djs and they just sit around getting high and thinking about their next radio show and it's just so funny it's a british show as well oh i would love that super 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 funny and the music I, these guys are actually pretty good they that sounds like my nothing. my kind of show for sure it, it, absolutely i have a couple things i want to talk about maybe you can let me know which direction you want to go in so one of them has to do with just partying back in the day. It's interesting because I was I was talking to a friend of mine about how it was uh, go clubbing and party in L.A. Mm -hmm. I didn't grow up here, so I have no idea. My only frame of reference is uh, New York pre-Giuliani and then post-Giuliani and Philly. Yeah. So that's so I, that's one area we can go into. And then uh, with the election and all the things about cannabis, I learned something about Henry Ford. And uh, how th there was a relationship between Ford and Prohibition. So I wanted to kind of uh, dive into Ooh, that. Oh, interesting so, history lesson. All right. That's bit, two very different, bit. yeah, two different, two di very different topics. I can tell you that we probably had a very similar experience partying when we were younger. I've often wondered what it would have been like if I had grown up in LA or if I had gone to college in LA and kind of partied, you know, in my kind of teen and 20s in LA. And, you know, it seems weird to me because. It's so different than what it was like in New York. I mean, I was going to New York clubs when I was 17 years old. We would dress up kind of like, I remember I one time I wore a Civil War hat and eye mascara, yeah. you know, yeah. and would always show up with my friends at clubs like Xenon and the Underground and yeah. at the Area Club and these places. And I could get in at 17 to these clubs with my fake ID, which is oftentimes... Mm -hmm would be, you would turn this, I, I'm 67, you would turn the seven and you're 67 into a three. So it was 1963. <laughs> and it was like the stupidest thing that you could do with your pencil and everybody knew you were doing it. And yet it would, the bouncers would look at it and be like, okay, it wasn't really until, and this isn't, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just reminding myself this. So we all know the Robert Chambers murder. Remember the yeah. Robert Chambers? So yes. I was at Dorian's Red Hand the night that Robert Chambers killed Jennifer, um, Anyway, I was there. My friend was a bartender at Dorian's Greyhand, and mm -hmm. we actually talked to her that night and remember wow. her very vividly. And the only reason I bring that up is because I feel like after that incident happened, New York came down very, very hard on bars with underage people, and it was harder to get in from that day on. But we used to be able to get into every club in any situation. I never. The only time I would ever get rejected is it because I didn't have a woman with us? If we went with five guys, we couldn't get into one club. We could stand on line for hours, and the doorman would just look over us, and they used to handpick people, and they would just pretend we weren't even there. And just like, But I can't imagine letting scrawny me at 17 with my Civil War hat and eye mascara into a club. It's incredible. How about you? Did you have a similar yeah, experience? Yeah, very similar experience. I had fake ID, so my first fake ID was my friends uh, owned a check cashing business. So I had a personal identification card from a check cashing that said when I was 16, that said I was 21 and 22. Uh, so that got me into bars. It didn't get me into like the really great clubs until I got a, a fake Maryland driver's license that said I was 25. And right. that was my car blanche. I got in everywhere. And same thing with New York. So New York, you're absolutely right. It's about getting picked to go in. So, you know, we go to the tunnel. Uh, we go to Twilo, we go to Palladium, we go to Limelight. Yep, all those places. Yeah, Underground, a, a Sound Factory, Save the Robots, you yeah. name it, which was after hours. But this is the thing. So you're, uh, let's talk about like uh, Tunnel or, or, or Twilo. So I did some work for uh, Doers and I had these promotional pins that had these flashing lights. So in terms of dressing up, I took all the buttons out of my shirt. And I put flashing lights on instead of the buttons. 
So I had that and I had a crazy hat and I had these crazy raver glasses, right? These big bell bottom pants. The crazier that you can look is like, yeah. Oh, them, yeah. they're going in, they're going in. So you and tried I, to and they're going, crazy. and it was, it was incredible to be able to go into these clubs. Yeah. And you know, most of the clubs that I went to were predominantly gay, like mm-hmm. uh, I would say. At the very least, it was 50-50, but at the most, it was maybe 70-30 and so on. And the music, well, like we followed the, the DJs, all the house music DJs. You know, Eric Murillo just passed away. Uh, you know, listening to Eric Murillo and Danny Teneglia yeah. and uh, Armand Van Helden. You know, these guys, this was like- They were legendary. Amazing, amazing, amazing to be able to uh, go to these clubs. And I, I was in, and it was, uh, it was just an incredible, incredible experience. In Philly, it wasn't like that. You had two after clubs, basically. One of them is called Black Banana, and the other one was called Revival. And Black Banana was uh, fantastic. They had uh, these uh, this one gay couple that would uh, roller skate in the middle of the floor. Mm-hmm. They would skate, which was great. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, and, and Revival was uh, also an after-hours club. So we go to all these clubs, and then we end up there. And you know, I was friends with all about my, my whole thing was it's not about getting picked to go in. It's about being friends with a bouncer. Yeah. Everywhere. If you were on the so list. Was, oh my God. How cool. On the list you? everywhere because I would get yeah. everybody high. That was my yeah. thing. Everybody knew. Everybody's in the club and the bouncer sits outside when the crowd dissipates and there's a trickling in of one or two people. I go outside and I start having a conversation. Some of them are still my friends. Like Scott, you know, he's like, hey, what's up, man? And I'm like, hey, you want to smoke a joint? Yeah. So outside there, we smoke a joint with a bouncer and that's my boy. And then same thing with the DJs. I meet friends with all the DJs. I walk that up helps. and as they're taking a break, we smoke uh, with them as well. So that was my, that, that was, was your my in. in. My in was, was that I could dance back in the day and I was in a break dance crew. I don't know if you knew this. Me too. You were? That's so funny. We were circuit breakers. We were in, yep. I was in the chill factor and mm-hmm. we would go to the Roxy in these clubs and I could dance so I could get in and we would do these battles and we would come up with all these moves and it was crazy. And there used to be the speaker that you could dance on top of. And if you, if you, you would only, only the bravest people would get on top of that speaker and dance because you'd be like above the entire club doing your thing. And I would, I, I don't know how I had the balls to do that, but I would get up on that speaker and just pop and do all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah, I did the same thing. I was just showing my daughter. <laughs> she didn't believe me. I, she goes, show him. And she was, um, TikTok recording me or whatever yeah. one of those. The worm was my move. Oh, so that I, was your move. That's awesome. I haven't done the worm in many, many years. <laughs> I, I, yeah, the worm would hurt. That would hurt. Let I me could try. Do it. And I was like, I made it through the worm, but I'm like, I can do better. I, Every I, time I try to do hurt. anything, I, yeah, my back gives it. It's like, it's unbelievable. I, well, first of all, my kids are so embarrassed when I break dance, but I always pull it out and like, you know, like office parties or something, I'll just start popping and everybody's like, what? the F is happening right now. <laughs> I just have this weird thing that I'm able to do. It's like a, it's like a little side hobby. And then I can, and I can also like moonwalk and do sorts of stuff. But that's so funny, funny that we have, we look at, we look at our, and our kids look at us and we look at our parents. Oh, you know, they're uncool. What do they do? And I know. And we're like, what do you We're mean, just, man? It wasn't that long ago. I mean, we can pop. My parents did not pop. I mean, I think that's pretty cool. I mean, my kids are kind of mortified by it, but it's like my parents, I mean, they didn't pop. Damn, I just still think we're pretty cool. Um, no, they did the, like the jitterbug and all that stuff, man. That's, those are cool moves too. Now, do you want to talk about Henry Ford, or do you want to get, uh, get into the music? Uh, well, sharing. Let's get into music, and then if we have time, we'll, we'll make a decision because I, I'm really excited to give you a little bit of uh, a taste. I think you are familiar with the band, but maybe uh, uh, maybe you don't know this song, and it's and it's interesting because this band. Uh, has so many different variations of how they perform their music. There are so many different types of things they perform. It's not just one type of music. And this one track really connected with me, and it's also a title track of uh, one of their albums. And so you just just queued up. This is our special segment that we like to call, Have You Heard? Yeah. Uh, uh. There is no guidance in 
talked about Jamaica um, because that is very influenced obviously by Jamaican music what do you think I really liked it I'm, I'm starting to get a, a sense of your you definitely like a certain BPM you like a kind of downbeat loungy kind of vibe for sure that I sometimes that I appreciate it, it yeah depends. look I, man, I love the prodigy too which is right which high, is very high, high energy but I really like that because I love the sort of first of all the flow was great I love the beat I liked his voice um, it was kind of like a, a reggae. Their thievery corporation is English, right? Of course. No. So really? I, yeah. Here's my uh, connection. The Theory Corporation is from DC, if I'm not mistaken. No way. Yeah. So I Rob Garza is the main. I don't remember the other guy's name. I think it's Eric. But there's two guys, and they're basically producer, uh, DJ, and, and arrangers. Amazing musicians. They haven't played live in a while. And then I was driving by the Palladium. Uh, here in the, and I saw a thievery corporation. I'm like, shit, maybe the store, uh, the, the show already started. So right. I, I was uh, with this girl that I was seeing. I walked out, and there was a guy standing outside selling two tickets for twenty bucks. I'm oh like, wow! I got him. I walked in. It's half empty. I was in the front. No listening way. To them. What an amazing show! I mean, they had so many guest artists that came out and performed with them. It was phenomenal. <clears throat> so I was at a party, maybe. I mean, a COVID party, maybe a month ago or so. It's fine outside and all that stuff. And I was uh, sitting and I was talking to, to people uh, about music and cannabis and like shit that I usually talk about. And I was talking to this girl and I was telling her about Thievery Corporation. I, I was playing it. And she goes, I know Rob. I'm like, you know Rob? He goes, yeah, I know him really well. He's a good friend of mine. I'm like, dude, you don't even understand. <laughs> I listen to so much like Lebanese Blonde and a lot of these songs. They, they're life changing for me. Yeah. She goes, you talk to him? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> She gets him on FaceTime. So nice. I had a full out conversation with Rob and told him what a sweet down earth guy. Like they're not Ozzy level, obviously, yeah. but still. But still. What an amazing sweet guy. Like I told him how much influence they had and how I appreciate his music and everything. And he was so, so grateful and so down to earth. So I that makes me even like him more based on that. Wow. On that. That's awesome. That's great. That's my- well, it's interesting. We hadn't we didn't really plan this, but I also have a Jamaican uh, inspired. And it's interesting, we're not playing pure reggae today because I'm a huge fan of reggae, particularly dance hall reggae. My friend, my absolute best friend in the world had a Jamaican music, he always called it Jamaican music, Jamaican music record store in New York, but it was downtown in Chinatown and he would sell Jamaican music. And anyway, he would make me these these tapes all the time of the best dance hall. But this particular track I want to play you is actually and by the way, I love Thievery Corporation, so thank you for sharing that. I didn't. I want to put a button on that. This particular track I'm going to play you is actually by artist by the name of Major Laser, who I know you're familiar with. And for those who don't know them, they're like a kind of like a producing trifecta. Their most famous person is Diplo, who does a lot of like pop music and electronic dance music. But they also have these DJs, Walshy Fire and Ape Drums, who are like Jamaican producers who kind of add a Jamaican flavor. It's called original dawn and i don't even know if the actual song itself is that great but the build-up of this song which i'm going to play you now is one of the great sort of feats of producing just the tension it builds until you get to the part where the release happens is like just brilliant and plus it's reggae so you'll appreciate the flow so here i go here i go here i go i'm going to press play on original dawn featuring the party squad Run the track! Batman, 
get the gist. What do you think? I love it, man. Wasn't that the best? It's great. It's Uh, so cool. It was like the greatest buildup. You don't see it coming because it's so like kind of traditional. Like, I don't know. I just thought it was brilliant kind of production. It's great, yeah. They don't play this kind of music in uh, in clubs in LA. Then we were talking about this club thing. Talking to my friends who grew up here, it was a lot of sunset strip kind of stuff. Yes, there were some clubs, but it was a lot of live music and let's go look at you know see the rock bands. There were clubs, but man, it's just not the same as the East Coast club. Uh, yeah, I mean, I hate to be snotty about because I really don't know the LA club scene, and I did go to a few clubs early on when I first got here, but. I, you know, we've talked about this. I don't know if it's just me being nostalgic for my childhood or if things are really different. But I mean, the great thing about going to clubs is you would hear songs that you couldn't hear, you couldn't find anywhere else. Like, like literally the DJ would have this like vinyl that like was like, wasn't even on the radio yet or was playing. All the time. And then, and then <clears> there weren't really clubs, dance right? stations. The, the record clubs too. Yeah. And you get a mail to you because when I was in right. tower, <laughs> I just interrupted you, but belong to this record club and you're home you know nervous records would send you oh you yeah know, nervous records or whatever it is you're yeah like, homo use only yeah Shit, that's pretty exciting now you can go on youtube and find anything or spotify right. or whatever and you know i think there's some great that's great too and you don't you know i remember going to tower records like you said and like listening to those cds that were like queued up you know and different tracks and you know you get to go and listen to stuff and that was when i was older god when we were younger you couldn't even listen to anything you just have to bring home a record and hope that it was good because <laughs> you had no idea but yeah i loved it and i i mean i just i'll never forget hearing certain you know songs for this the first time in a club like ain't nobody by shaka khan i remember wow. that just coming on one day and just being like this is the greatest song i have ever heard in my life you know like and it just it could never sound as good as it sounded that night in that club and I would I would go and buy the record, and I'd be like, "Oh well, it's a great song." It wasn't like it sounded at Xenon at three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> you yeah. know. And, and the but, and the remixes that's and that's that's the whole thing because you're getting that DJ's interpretation of a remix yeah. already. So it's already produced by you know Little Louis Vega or whatever. I'm just using an example, and then Josh Wink in the club actually makes it his own. So he'll scratch over it. He'll do this yeah. and. Yeah, the it remixes just happen these days. No, so they don't do the remixes. That was a very big deal. You know, I'm interviewing a guy by the name of Bill Brewster uh, next week who wrote a book called "Last Night a DJ Saved My Life," and he goes through. I don't know if you ever saw this book, but he goes through each. He takes it from the very early days of DJs, all the all the eras that you're talking about, Philly sound, the New York City sound, up until the present day. It's really interesting. Book, yeah, the hip hop too. The I mean, there was DJs so Detroit. much Detroit house yeah. and all that stuff. I know Joey Beltram. But yeah, yeah, you have deep knowledge. You would you would appreciate this this book. Last I night a DJ wait. saved my yeah, life. I yeah, to listen to your thing. I have a correction to make and a suggestion. So yeah. uh, the correction on the show, it's not some people. It's people just do nothing. Not some people. Okay, so I want to correct that. People just do nothing. The name of the radio station is called Corrupt FM with a K, just like Corrupt Kush from back in the day. I have a back correction ahead. to make too. I mentioned yeah. Robert Chambers, and I didn't mention uh, Jennifer Levin who unfortunately passed, but I just, I, I felt like <clears throat> to not say her name, respect to the, to, to the dead there. I want to just make sure I say her name. Let's save the Henry Ford thing for an episode. I'm excited. <clears throat> that we're going to go into with uh, the history of prohibition. Everybody knows, but we'll put a little bit of a twist on it. We'll see if we can connect some conspiracy theories based on my research and what I've, what I kind of deduced. Okay. I'll, I'll put it out there for people to, uh, comment on and say them full of shit or or not whatever it is i'm just gonna bring out facts but then i'll make my own interpretation of what i feel the connection is and people yeah, will never drive a ford again episode. after that i have a question for you yes uh have you ever been arrested no i saw that on your list of questions i <laughs> wish i had a good arrest story the best story i can have this is how unarrested i've been but this is the closest i've been to being arrested I was in Martha's Vineyard, this, you know, that hotbed of urban strife. And I guess I got nervous because there was a cop. It was late at night and there was, I wasn't drinking. I was fine, but there was a cop behind me and he was very close and I got nervous and I started not speeding, you know, like going too slow because I was nervous <laughs> that I was going to go too fast. And he put his lights on, he pulled, pulled over and, and he had me pull over and I got out of my car. I've never done this before. I don't know why it was coming over me, but I sort of got out of my car to explain, uh, you know, sorry, officer, I didn't mean to go too slow. Literally, as I got out of my car, he 
opened his door. He drew his weapon. This is in Martha's Vineyard. Drew his weapon, got behind the doors, get back in the car, and uh, you know, and said like, hands up, you know, and I and like I I I got back in the car. That was the closest to being arrested I've ever been. God, I I need to get arrested. I need to have that on my. Uh, well, you have white pr- privilege, so uh, if you were yeah. weren't white, oh my god, and Ma- well, first of all, in Martavine, yeah, if that was an Oak Bluff, <laughs> and I wasn't black, I would have been killed. Yes, I will be the first to admit that. Can you for imagine sure, me getting sure. out of my car? <laughs> yes, white privilege. Yeah, I've I've been arrested uh, several times. Uh, you know, for the sake of time, I'm going to go into a lot of details. But wow. uh, there was Impressed. once the first time was uh, for being uh, we had a. A Jersey Shore house in Wildwood, New Jersey, and we were being very loud doing shots of Mad Dog 2020. <laughs> and uh, my friend was doing the preacher from uh, Coming to America. He did a fantastic job doing that. We were so loud, we didn't realize that the cops were actually raiding us oh and coming God. in. So we were still, we were like in shorts and doing, doing this thing. thing and yelling and drinking. And, you know, so we got arrested for the underage drinking. The second time was for trespassing after I get kicked out of high school. I went back to uh, pick up my girlfriend. They arrested me for trespassing. There was a couple other times. There was two times that I got arrested for the same kind of incident uh, and cannabis-related stuff. And uh, and there was one that was more serious than that with the uh, credit cards and all, all that. Whoa. But yeah, it was somebody said that I was doing something where I was just the driver. I wasn't really aware. But regardless of the fact, I was treated differently by two different cops. And it was just interesting because one of them was really nice and said, hey, you know, put the cuffs on, make sure they're not too tight. Are you okay? Got me in and had a conversation and it was fine. And the other one put the cuffs on so tight, threw me in the back of the paddy wagon, didn't buckle me in as they were driving. I was getting bounced around the paddy oh wagon. could have broken my neck. And uh, my, I mean, I had blood on my wrists from that arrest, from the handcuffs after they didn't allow me to call anybody for a long time they really try to make a point of this arrest and uh, i'm just saying that you know we talk about police and defund the police and, and race and i'm not getting into any of those things but i'm just saying that two different police officers acted completely differently towards me for the same type of incident hmm. i wasn't being an asshole either time but this is just something they wanted to convey and prove that one can be nice and still end up doing the same exact thing, arresting me. And one of them is going to be an asshole. So I think that uh, being able to emphasize that is really, really important uh, that, you know, you can be treated differently, uh, even though, you know, I'm not a person of specific color, but uh, you know, these uh, training definitely needs to happen a lot. Yes. And just let's just not use the term defund the police. One of the worst phrases that has ever come out of any movement. I am a supporter of the premise of that, which is to reform the police. But defund the police was just idiotic. um, I think reform the police is a much reform the police. Why why do we have to say defund? Nobody wants to take money away from the police. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll get off my high horse on that. I just thought it was I was destructive. The last time I was arrested, I was in Mexico, which uh, which is an interesting place. I used to travel a lot around the world, but uh, I was there on vacation. I was in my friend timeshare. He met me and we were out. He decided to go out of the resort and we were in, in uh, Puerto Vallarta, mm. touristy area and walking down the street. And we decided to smoke a joint, smoke the joint. And then uh, he said, uh, hey, I want to go somewhere. There's a local place. Started talking to, to this cab driver. And this cab driver said, no, 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 and sort of go there. And we started walking. All of a sudden, both he and I got tackled, mm. thrown against the car. I got punched in my side, Yikes. handcuffed. And, uh, you know, there's this whole thing, the walkie-talkies are going to call the paddy wagon. And, and he's going through, and he's like, drug, drug, drug. Mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, <laughs> I don't have anything on me because I <laughs> finished my joint. Yeah. And then uh, it starts going through my pockets, and he found a multivitamin. So I was Mexico, I'm going to take my vitamins. And he's like, oh, I found it. There you go. Here's the drug. And I'm like, that's a vitamin. Right. I'm like, dude, I'll, I'll take it. I'm like, you take it right there. No, no, no. That's it. That's it. You're going to jail. I'm like, oh, shit. 
all right, well, I'm there with my, my daughter, my parents. There's nothing hotel. more relaxing the idea of going to a Mexican jail. Yeah. Oh, dude, I was just like, I was, I was definitely nervous. Yeah. So the guy starts going through my pockets and he pulls out my wallet and something possessed me to start yelling. Hey, you know, you're, you're robbing me. You're, you're taking my money. Yeah. So he took my wallet and put it back in my, in my pocket. Really? And that, that fear went away. And I was like, aha, this is a transaction. Now I understand. Right. So I said, uh, hey, you know, you want dinero? You want money? What's up? He goes, see. Hmm. Like, All right, I'll handcuff. So I went one, one of my pockets, not my wallet, but I had 20s in my pocket. So I counted out five 20s without pulling out my money, gave it to him. And he went, you know, made the scene, went to talk to his partner. Right. Crime. So corrupt. Blah, and then he let us go. So yeah. I had a similar experience in Tijuana. I got pulled over on the road when I was driving to Rosarita and the guy pulled me over and he said I was speeding and he said, we can take care of this here or I can take you down to the station and we can take care of it there. And I was like, why don't we take care of it here? What can I do for you? <laughs> would a hundred, how would Mr. Franklin be good? I mean, it was so corrupt. It was unbelievable. It's crazy. But it's <laughs> so uh, the concierge told me, first of all, when the guy hit me, he hit me with a cattle prod. So I had an, oh electric, with an electric cattle prod. So I had a, a triangle on my rib for like two months. It was like a burn triangle. Jesus. That's why he hit me so hard. He's a little guy, man. I was like, man, he, yeah, I you don't know. A, I, can, I can probably take this guy, but you know. Whatever. Yeah, when you have a cattle, uh, cattle but, prod. Yeah, but I was, but the guy told me that there's three levels of this. So level one is that. And if you're not smart enough to figure out to pay them, they get you in a paddy wagon. They drive you around, scare you until you go to an ATM and you withdraw money. Mm-hmm. And the third one, if you're still stupid, you go to a Mexican jail. The judge is not available and they scare you, whatever, and they make you wire money from the family. So I got off on level one, smart enough, a hundred bucks, probably some of the best hundred dollars that I've ever spent in my life. Yes. And disclaimer, we're not Donald Trump here. Not all, not all uh, Mexicans are, are rapists. It's not and, a shit country. And, and it's not a shit country and they're not all drug dealers and rapists. I love but Mexico City, one of my favorite places in the world. I, I had I the absolute too. best octopus poi taco there ever that I had. It's the best. Oh food. God, octopus tacos are incredible. Um, unfortunately, the corruption there is, is unbelievable within the police department. And even here, it's just probably a little bit more um, hidden. Um, all over the world, man. Like when yeah. you get pulled over, you used to get pulled over in Russia. They give you the driver's license and the documents go. They hand it back to you. You put money in there and you give it back to them. They see, okay, they hand it back to you. You put more money in there and then yeah. that's enough. And then they give it back to you. Listen, money. I had to end <laughs> this on a theme, Jamaica. My driver, we got pulled over. He said the policeman told him you have to pay. They have to pay us or we're not going to let you go. And so I just gave my driver like $100 and they let us go. So, yeah, it happens everywhere, even Jamaica, our wonderful, the wonderful country of Jamaica, one of my favorite places in the world as well. So, yeah, what are you going to do? We continue to try to make this world a better place, you and I, Len. And we will, you know, it's a lonely job, but we will. We will make that effort. It's a beautiful sentiment, John. Thanks. I love it. I love that. It's a great way Thank to you. end this thing. I, I'm trying to figure out a way to end it in a positive note. We are recording this in a time in our country where any kind of bit of positivity is, I think, welcome. It's good to a positive unite. The pendulum swung on one side, I think it's going to swing back. I and so. uh, this, we're going to rebuild. And uh, human nature is like that. I think at some point... We all want the same things, regardless of what side. Yeah, and sometimes when it doesn't smoke seem that clears, way. But, yeah. You know, we'll all share the peace pipe, smoke a joint together, kumbaya, and all go to Oregon and uh, and do some psilocybin together. I'm ready to move to Oregon after this election. I don't know about that, man. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> it's too sure much. I want to do that. Yeah. A lot of anarchy going on there. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like a little bit of a lawless place. But at the same time, it seems like they just seem to be a lot more open to new ideas yeah. and I love Portland. It's one of my favorite I've places. I've never been there. Ever. Always wanted to Regardless go. Regardless of what's going on there, I, I had a great time there. I, I would love I to go. go. So. When COVID ends, I, I will be in Portland. Probably. All right. Well, we'll this is this is another, yet another episode of Everything is Personal. Everything is Personal. Yeah. And, uh, I want to thank everyone. Thank you, John, as always. Please, please, please thank you, everyone, for writing in their comments. Subscribe. 
Let us know if there's anybody you want to see on the show. Let us know if there's any music that you want us to share. Introduce us to new stuff. We're always looking for new stuff. Yeah, man. I'm sure. I, I would love and I would love to expand my catalog, especially now. I just want to be listening to great music all the time. It puts me in a good mood. Absolutely. So thank you all again. Peace, and we'll see you next time. Peace, everybody. But if I do, I'll calmly punch them in the fourth day of July. Cause they try to mess with third degree. That's me, myself, and not. It's just me, myself, and I. It's just me, myself, and I. It's just me, myself, and I. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canada podcasters right here on PodConnex and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.